Take your Bible this morning, Isaiah chapter 7 and verse number 14 this morning. Isaiah chapter 7 and verse number 14. As we get started this morning, I do want to make sure I give a very special thank you to Teresa Houghton. Uh, she was, uh, has been over the years a tremendous friend of my wife and uh, when my wife started talking to me uh, uh, almost a year ago, she started talking about uh, this Christmas party and saying, you know what, I'd like to have, matter of fact, the first time I heard Teresa's name come up was two years ago uh, for something like this and she said, you know what, I got to have her out here for this and uh, she did a phenomenal job last night. Uh, every one of the ladies uh, that, that left last evening, uh, I believe, were blessed. I heard many comments about it and uh, Teresa, thank you for coming and uh, being willing to, to come and speak to the ladies last Last evening, she spoke in our ladies' Sunday school hour this morning as well, and uh, some of the ladies asked me if she could go ahead and preach this morning. No, they didn't, uh, but uh, they, uh, they, they might have asked me if they didn't think I'd be offended uh, about that, but uh, really was a blessing to have you here, so thank you. Uh, she's got a busy week. She had a, 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 some kind of a banquet or some event on Friday night. Uh, she had to get up Saturday morning, I think leave the house around 2.30 our time, and, uh, and so she was up till 2.30 just about last night. Uh, so she was up about 24 hours. So if she falls asleep and starts snoring, it's, uh, she tells me it's not because of me. Uh, however, if you do it, I'll know. Uh, and uh, so she, she had quite a, a long weekend. And then she has to go back. She leaves tomorrow morning. Uh, I think her plane leaves at 6 o'clock, so she'll have an early morning tomorrow. And she has her ladies' Christmas party uh, tomorrow night. And so she, she really worked this thing in here. And so we really do appreciate that. So thank you for coming and uh, being a part of that. Take your Bible, Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. This morning is where we'll be, Isaiah seven 14. Let's all stand to our feet this morning together, and uh, let's read Isaiah chapter 7 and verse number 14. Matter of fact, do this real quick. Hold your spot in Isaiah seven fourteen, and take your Bible to Luke chapter 2, all right? We're going to read Isaiah first, but go ahead and stick your finger right there in Luke chapter 2, and we'll look at a couple of verses there as well. All right, you got Luke chapter 2. You looking at it? Shouldn't be, Brian. I said stick your finger there. And Oh, good. You're, okay, you're just agreeable, aren't you? All right, Isaiah chapter 7, verse number 14, and uh, let's go ahead and read that verse. The Bible says, Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold. A virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. That's a great verse, isn't it? Let's say that one more time. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Keep your place in Isaiah chapter 7, but flip over to Luke chapter 2, and notice with me verse number 10. There is a word that we find in Isaiah chapter 7, that we're also going to find right here in Luke chapter 2. And so pay attention, see if you notice that word with me. Luke chapter 2, notice verse number 10. The Bible says, And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you was born this day in the city of David a Savior which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Did you notice the word? 
There was one word that happened in both places. Anyone know what that word is? Sign. Take your Bible again, Isaiah 7, 14. Let's read that one verse together. And notice that word sign one more, but let's read this verse together. Isaiah 7, 14. Ready? Begin. Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Father, we're thankful for all that you've done for us. Lord, we're thankful for this special sign that you gave. We're thankful, Lord, for the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, this time of year, so many things are happening. And Lord, so often we can become distracted by lesser valuable things. I pray, Lord, that we would not become distracted this season by shopping or even by family, although that's a good thing and we ought to enjoy them. Father, I pray that we would enjoy the Lord Jesus Christ this Christmas. Thank you for the sign that you gave us. Help us to learn a few things from it this morning. Bless this time we have together now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated this morning. It is interesting here we find the Bible says in two different passages, and by the way, these are two very familiar passages. Isaiah chapter 7 and verse number 14 is absolutely chock full with tremendous truth. I mean, you talk about, behold, I mean, this, this virgin will conceive and bear a son, thou shalt call his name Emmanuel. That is, I mean, you could use a lot of different things there, wonderful verse. But Luke chapter 2, and by the way, Luke chapter 2 is probably a passage that many of you around Christmas time would sit around with the family, open your Bible, and read the Christmas story out of Luke chapter 2. Last week, we started talking about, we started a new series called Christmas Lights. We're really talking about the light, the prophecies of the Messiah in the Old Testament, looking toward the New Testament, the fulfillment, of course, in the New Testament. And this morning, I want to talk about a little bit more light that the Lord gives us in Isaiah chapter 7 and verse number 14. It is interesting here, we find two different passages that use the exact same word, sign. In Isaiah chapter 7 and verse number 14, the Bible says, Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. In our Luke chapter 2 passage, in verse number 12, it says, And this shall be a sign unto you. You know, oftentimes we use signs to get people's attention. Just a few years ago, after we had moved into Castle Rock already, we heard that the Castle Rock outlet right down the street had petitioned Castle Rock and asked them, can we put up a sign? We want to get a little more attention. We want to uh, draw some more people into the outlet mall. And it is interesting, it's not as if you drive by the outlet and don't notice it. Uh, it's, it's right there for all the world to see. And yet they determined, you know what, we want to put up a sign. Well, the city allowed them to go ahead and do that, and even though there aren't any other signs around like that, they allowed them to do that, for better or for worse, and, and so they begin to put up the sign. How many of you are like me? You begin to see the sign go up, and the sign got bigger and bigger and bigger. I was shocked how large that sign was going to be, and all of a sudden, we almost had a, a North Star above Castle Rock, you know, as you could anywhere around, you could drive over the hill and see that great sign, and what was the Castle Rock uh, outlet doing? What they're doing was saying, listen, we want to let people know that we're here. We want to give them this great 
sign. Here's some direction. Here's where we're at. Here's some uh, ways that people will know what's happening right here. Well, that's, I think, what God is doing here with this sign. In Isaiah chapter 7 and verse number 14 in Luke chapter 2. He says, I'm going to give you a sign. This will be the sign. He's going to talk about the sign. Of course, the Lord Jesus. They'll find that one in Luke chapter 2. But I want to talk about three signs this morning that oftentimes we find God leading believers through signs in the scriptures. And I think we can see three things here this morning. Some light that God is giving us through his word in Isaiah chapter 7 and verse number 14. Notice with me, first of all, this morning, the birth of Christ is a sign of three things. I think, number one, it is a sign of God's power. Did you let that verse a moment ago sink in as you read Isaiah 7, 14? Have you, have you considered this Christmas season yet, Isaiah 7, 14? Look at that verse again with me and, and think about it from a human perspective. The Bible says in Isaiah 7, 14, it says, Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, now here's where it gets a little bit easy to be Sunday schoolish. In other words, it's easy to, well, that's right, that's what the Bible says. That's right, that's the right answer, right? I mean, the Bible says, hey, listen, think about this in humanity terms. This, this, is, this is an impossible thing. Notice what it says in verse 14. The Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now take off your dignified Sunday school hat for just a moment this morning and recognize the miraculous birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes we get so used to hearing this over and over again that we, stop, we, we don't stop and consider God has done something supernatural. This is not natural, this is supernatural. This is not ordinary, this is extraordinary. This is not the normal, this is abnormal. God is doing something that we have never seen before and we will never see since. A virgin will conceive and bear a son. Can I just insert this right now? Many people today are using this, and by the way, John 8, 44, the devil's the father of lies. The devil's getting in with a lot of people today, and what he's doing is saying, let me just tell you what that word virgin means. What that means is a young woman. Hey, that's not what that word means. But when you look at the word virgin, when you study it out, it means a woman that has not physically known a man. What the devil tries to do is say, hey, listen, uh, this is not what, and by the way, we'll see in just a moment why it is so important that there is a virgin birth, not just a young woman delivering here, but there is an actual virgin birth. The devil wants us to go ahead and say, well, listen, that's not that big a deal. It's, it's just kind of a young woman here, but that's not what the word means. This is a miraculous event unlike the world has ever known, and we celebrate Christmas, and as we do that, we're celebrating the fulfillment of this prophecy. God God became man. Jesus became flesh. He dwelt among us, as the verse says in verse number 14, Emmanuel, God with us. And by the way, take your Bible for just a moment and look with me at Matthew chapter 1 and notice with me verse number 18. You say, okay, well listen, I've heard that argument before. It's just a, just a young woman. 
That's all it was. It, it wasn't what we would think of that word as today. But notice in Matthew chapter 1 and verse number 18, we find the Bible is very clear on this matter. It says in Matthew 1.18, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as his mother, Mary was espoused to Joseph. And notice this now, there's, there's four words here that are very important. Before they came together she was found with child listen not out of an immoral relationship not out of a wrong relationship notice what it says here in this verse it ends that verse by saying she was found with child of who the holy ghost that this was a miraculous event this was god visiting mankind in a very special way in a way that we have never seen before in a way that we'll never see again you say well pastor why is that such a big deal why do you talk about that as if that is really that okay we get it it's a miracle that's a great thing but god's done all kinds of miracles I mean, we remember talking about uh, as, as uh, uh, God uh, dried up the Red Sea and they walked across on dry ground. Well, that was a miracle. and that was, that was good. We know God can do great things. I want you to know something. This is a tremendous miracle because mankind needed a Savior that came in just this way. Take your Bible for just a moment, would you, and look at me with Romans chapter 5 in verse number 12. In Romans chapter 5 and verse number 12, we are going to find out why we're in such a need of this, why this is so important. Romans chapter 5 and verse 12 tells us, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world. By the way, who was that one man? Adam. Okay? Uh, we understand, we talked about Genesis chapter 3 last week. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Now the Bible gives us a pretty clear picture about this. We, we talked about the prophecy last week, Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. The proto-evangelium, the first light, the first gospel. We know that Adam and Eve in the garden fell. And, and the Bible says that Adam was our representative. You say, well, that's not fair. Um, uh, it wasn't me that was in the garden. He was our representative. And so the Bible teaches us from that point forward, wherefore as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin. So death passed upon all men for all have sinned. So we understand that when Adam fell, that sin nature passed on every single person from that moment forward. From that moment forward, uh, every person that was born of the seed of Adam had that sin nature passed on. Hey, have you ever noticed this? You have never taught your child to lie, but yet they know how. You ever thought about that? Uh, did, did anyone sit their children down when they were just infants and say, all right, uh, Tony, did you sit down, Antone, and say, here is how you throw a temper tantrum. Did you get down on the floor and you kind of beat you and you held your breath, you got real blue? Did you do that? Didn't it? Lynette did. <laughs> you didn't have to. You didn't. Why? Be because there was that sin nature that was already inside of them. 
That little baby that's, that, that's wrapped up, that's laid in that crib, that little Ethan that's two months old. Has Ethan done anything wrong yet? He's probably too sweet. Uh, where's Ellie? I know Ellie has not done anything wrong yet. Has, how old is Ellie now? Almost 12 weeks. She hadn't done anything wrong yet, I'm sure. But you listen, let me tell you what Ellie's going to do, and let me tell you what Ethan's going to do. At a real young age, you know what they start doing? They start to lie. They do. They can't talk yet, but they'll lie. At least I'm telling you, she, she'll do it. I know she's precious, but she's going to do it. It's a, if she hasn't done it already, she will lie about. And you know what it'll do? She'll get in that crib and she will start to scream and she'll start to cry and she'll start to whine. And you'll go in there and you'll be you'll be concerned and you'll and you'll check her diaper. She'll be okay. And, and she's fed already. She just wants to make sure that someone gives her a little attention. She's going to act like something's wrong just so she can get a little. And you know what? They don't change much. They get older and they keep doing that kind of thing and they get a little bit and before you know it they become husbands and we cry a lot about things like this and uh, so so we have the the fall of mankind starts with Adam and it is passed on to all men but hold on a minute because of that sin the Bible says we're condemned to die wherefore death Passed upon all men, for all have sinned. That means from Adam forward, every single person is born with that sin nature, and now every single person is condemned to die. That's why it was so important. God says, For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. How is it that Jesus is any different? How can he be the Savior? How come he's unique enough to be able to die for us? I'll tell you why. Because Jesus knew no sin. See, it's unique about the Lord Jesus Christ that he's born of a virgin. The Bible says the Holy Ghost came upon Mary. Therefore, Jesus is not the bloodline. He's not the seed of man. Adam, when he fell from that point forward, that sin nature was passed. Jesus did not have that sin nature passed on him. You see, Isaiah 7, 14, boy, that's, that's some Christmas light. That's, that's a, a revelation that every single one of us can say, thank you, Lord, for being the unique sacrifice that I could not meet for myself, that nobody could meet for me, but through Jesus Christ, I can have salvation. We praise the Lord for it. I think, number one, we see that we have a sign of God's love. God loved us so much, he sent his son, Jesus, into the world. To die for us. Number two, I want you to notice another sign we see here. Not only do we see God's power in this passage, no question we see the power to be able to give us this kind of a birth, this miraculous birth, but then we also secondly see God's love. Would you notice with me again what it says in Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14? The Bible says, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Do you remember what Emmanuel means? God with us. But what, a, what a great promise. Don't overlook the significance of this phrase because in this phrase we find comfort and in this phrase we find hope. 
Remember where we left Adam in Genesis chapter 3? We, we find Adam as, uh, as a fallen man. We, we, we find him hiding from the Lord uh, in the garden. And we, we find him, he's without hope, he's, he's now fallen. And I want you to know something as we look into the scriptures, we now find great light that God has given us new light. He's given us new hope. And I just want to share with you this morning, I'm so thankful that God is more merciful than I am. And I'm thankful God's more merciful than you are. Because I'm here to tell you right now, I, I love you. Some of you I know better than others, but I love you in the Lord. I, I, I lo- there, there's not many things that I would not do for all of you. There, there's not many things. But I will tell you one thing I would not do. I love you. I am for you. I would do a lot of things for you, but I will tell you there's one thing I would not do. I would not give either one of my boys for you. I just wouldn't do it. Before you look at me like that, you wouldn't either. Before you're too hard on me, you wouldn't do that for me. Why? Because these are my boys. This is my flesh. This is my responsibility. These are these are my boys right here. I I love I love you, but but there's a there's a different kind of love that I have for my boys. I, I, there's a relationship that we have that that, that that is unique to us, and yet God loved us so much that even though I would say, well, I'll I'll go help you, and and I I'll go help you start the car, you know, battery, and and I'll go and, and reach out to you in some way. I can I can do those kind of things. But here's a love. That is not common. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Have you taken just a few moments this week to remember the love that God has for you? It gives us comfort because the Bible says Emmanuel, God with us. Aren't you thankful God's with you? When you trust the Lord Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit abiding within you, dwelling within you. You're not left alone. The Bible says that, that uh, he is always with us. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. By the way, it is interesting. It says, be content with such things as ye have. Why? He has said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Have you ever thought, isn't that interesting? Hey, be content. You don't need that. You don't need that. You don't need, hey, you don't need a bigger this. You don't need more of that. You don't need a faster car. You don't need a bigger this. Here's what you need. You need the Lord. If you've got the Lord, you've got everything you need. And you find your contentment in the Lord Jesus Christ. And God says, Jesus says, I'll never leave you or I'll never forsake you. Can I just say it? There's hope in that. One of the worst emotions that a person can go through is the emotion of loneliness. You ever been there? You feel like you're by yourself. People, people don't understand what you're going through. You're just kind of lonely. I remember hearing about Corey Ten Boom. She was in the Nazi prison camp. Of course, this is several many years ago now. She told the Lord, she said, Lord, I can go through anything for you. I will trust you. I will follow you. I will give you my life. I will, if I have to give my very life for you, Lord, I will do so. They took her sister and they separated her from her sister. And Corey Tenboom, in tears, said, God, I would do all that, but I didn't know I'd have to do it alone. 
Loneliness is a difficult emotion. And so God loved us so much that he sent his son Emmanuel, God with us. Boy, that is a special gift that the Lord gives us. And I think what God is doing is he's saying, listen, I want you to know something. I love you. I I love you so much that I'm going to make this sacrifice. I love you so much that you are going to have comfort and you are going to have hope. Isn't it it, it shameful that so oftentimes we wonder whether or not God loves us? You ever hear phrases like, well, if if God was a God of love, then then why would he allow this to happen or, or that to happen? You ever hear things like that? Hey, let me tell you something. Go back to Romans 5 and verse 12 when you start thinking that way. It is, listen, it's not God's fault. that It was the fall of mankind. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon him for all of sin. Hey, listen, next time you get upset, go ahead and call out Adam's name then. Don't, don't call out God's name. Next time you're upset, look in the mirror. It's not God that does it. God loves us so much he sent his son Jesus to die in our place. And by the way, notice a couple things about this kind of sacrificial love. He is encouraging us. He is with us. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. But notice also the sacrifice of this love. Take your Bible, Philippians chapter 2. Notice verse number 6 with me, just three verses here. And Paul gives us a clear picture of exactly what God has done for us, what Jesus has given up for us. In Philippians chapter 2 and and verse number 6, the Bible says, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. Being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Do you see the sacrifice that Jesus made on our behalf? Listen to what what one author said. Here's how one author wrote it. They said, Jesus endured a human birth to give us a new spiritual birth. He occupied a stable that we may occupy a mansion. He had an earthly mother so that we might have a heavenly father. He became subject so that we might be free. He left his glory to give us glory. He was poor that we might be rich. He was welcomed by shepherds at his birth. Whereas we at our birth are welcomed by angels. He was hunted by Herod that we might be delivered by the grasp of Satan. That's the great paradox of the Christmas story. It is that which makes it irresistibly attractive. It is a reversal of roles at God's cost for our benefit. God in heaven, Jesus Christ, left the splendor for us. If you haven't centered your heart around that fact yet this December, you really should. Lord, help me to remember what is most important. Thank you, Lord, that you show your love to me. Thank you, Lord, for your sacrifice on my behalf. Thank you, Lord, for leaving the splendor of heaven. Thank you, God, for the sacrifice of your son. Thank you for what you've provided. I think we see here a sign of God's love. And then notice finally, and we're finished this morning, notice one more thing. I I think we see a sign of God's 
faithfulness. We see his faithfulness. Do you know what is so great about the Lord? He always does what he says he's going to do. He, he does. You, you know, uh, we're not real good about that as, as humans. There's a lot of things that, that we might say we're going to do. Uh, this morning, my, my wife had given my son a task. And uh, uh, he said he was going to do it. He meant to do it. Did you not? You meant to. You, did you have good intentions? You did. He, met, he was going to take a package and he was going to bring it and put it where she said. And somehow that package was left at the door this morning. Fortunately, my wife saw it. She's used to carrying things after her husband. Made sure it made it in the right place. Just before church started this morning, my son came over to me just a moment ago and said, Dad, I forgot what I was supposed to do. Aren't you glad that when God says he's going to do something, he always does? Aren't you thankful for that? Hey, it's, it's not as if God says, hey, uh, Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. And, and, and he, he says, he doesn't say that and then, oh, you know what? That was kind of my intention. That was my plan. I was, I was going to work that out, but I, I, I got distracted. He does what he says he's going to do. He's faithful. Listen to this for just a moment. If you'll take your Bible with me, and I think this is really an interesting little passage, but you have to keep your brain with me for just a moment. Turn in your Bible for just a moment to Jeremiah chapter 22. I want you to look at this account of a man. Uh, his name is one that some of you might recognize, maybe you won't, uh, but it's an important name because this name is found in Matthew's genealogy of Jesus Christ. Remember when we find this person begat this person, this person begat this person, this person, and sometimes you, if you're like me, you go, oh boy, you know, here we go. You know, I don't, where, where does that ever make any sense? I mean, where's, how does that help us? Hey, right here in this passage, it helps us. It's going to give us a little insight on the faithfulness of God. Notice what the Bible says in Jeremiah chapter 22 and verse number 30. We, we find a man named Jeconiah who, by the way, was so wicked that God put a curse on him. He, here's the curse. Listen to this in Jeremiah twenty-two thirty. 30. Here's the curse. He says, thus saith the Lord, write ye this man. What, what man? Jeconiah. Write ye this man childless, a man that shall not prosper in his days. For no man of his seed shall prosper. Sitting upon the throne of David and ruling any more in Judah. Boy, this is pretty serious. I mean, God says, hey, listen, this guy, Jeconiah, he's not going to prosper. Matter of fact, not just this guy is not going to prosper. No one of his seed is going to prosper. I mean, this guy's going down big time. Nothing good's going to happen to this guy's seed. Take your Bible for just a moment. Look at Matthew chapter 1. Now, here's we find the genealogy. Before you to skip over it, there's some good things here. There's some nuggets of truth here that, that oftentimes you'll find if you look closely enough. Notice what it says in Matthew chapter 1 and look at verse 11. Remember, Jeconiah, he's, he's been cursed. God says nothing good's going to happen through his seed. Now notice what it says in verse 11, Matthew 1. And Josias begat Jeconiah, so there's his name, and his brethren. About the time they were carried away to Babylon, and after they were brought to Babylon, Jeconias begat Salaphiel. 
And Salathiel beget Zerubbabel. And Zerubbabel beget Abiad, and Abiad beget Eliakim, and Eliakim beget Azor, and Azor beget Sadak, and Sadak beget Achim. And, Achim. and you say, well, pastor, why are we still going through all these names? This makes no sense. In verse 16 it says, and Jacob beget Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Wait, 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 wait. We had a curse. Jeremiah 22, God said, no one's prospering out of your seed. Matter of fact, no one's going to sit on the throne of David out of your seed. But then you come through Matthew chapter 1, and you start to look at the genealogy, uh, genealogy, and you go, oh no, we have a problem. God said that he has cursed Jeconiah, but notice the emphasis in the verse in Jeremiah. Listen to the, what the emphasis is. God says... A man shall not prosper in his days, for no man of his seed. Isn't it interesting? When you look at the genealogies of the scriptures, we don't have time to go through all of them. Jeconiah is there. Jesus legally related to his seed, but not physically. The emphasis in Jeremiah is on his seed. Can I tell you this right now this morning? God is faithful. God is going to do what God says he's going to do. Well, wait a minute. Uh-oh, we got a problem here. Jeconiah is involved. How are we going to get around this? No, no, God's got a plan. God's got things under control. God is faithful. What we need to do as Christians today is say, God, I trust your plan. I don't understand this right now. I don't know where we're going right now. I don't know how you're leading right now. I don't know how this is going to end up right now. But I do trust you. Because you're faithful. And everything you say that is going to happen is going to happen. Doesn't that just kind of take the pressure off of your life right now? I don't have to figure everything out. I just need to be obedient. I don't. By the way, that's what Jesus did. He humbled himself. Yes, Father, what do you want me to do? He was God. He humbled himself. Yes, Father, what, not my will, but, but thy. Doesn't that make life a lot simpler? Wouldn't it make life a lot easier if, if you had somebody that knew what was going to happen in the future that you could just say, okay, I want you to walk around with me and before I make every decision in my life, I want you to tell me what to do. You can see the future. You tell me what to do. You tell me how to live. You tell me what choice to make. Wouldn't that be great? Man, I'd love that. I'd love to have somebody that was just with me, that, that knew the future, that could just tell me what decision. I mean, I'm telling you right now, if I had someone like that, it just seems to me that I would just go, hey, you know what? Yeah, what do you want me to do? Okay, that, 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 okay it always works out perfectly. God's faithful. Our great responsibility is obedience. Yes, Lord, whatever you say, I'm going to do it because I know you're faithful to accomplish your will the way you say it's going to be accomplished. I know that, that a faithful man abounds with blessings. I'm going to be faithful. I know that a trusting man finds direction, so I'm going to trust. I know, Lord, that that person that submits their hearts and lives to you finds the blessing of God, a peace that passeth all understanding, that a life outside of the will of God you do not find. So therefore, Lord, I'm going to simply submit my heart, my life to you, because you are faithful. 
It's interesting, I was reading this week, Dr. Charles Ryrie says that according to the laws of chance, listen to this, it would require 200 billion Earths populated with 4 billion people each to come up with one person whose life could fulfill 100 accurate prophecies without any errors in sequence. Yet the Bible not, doesn't record 100 prophecies about Christ. It records over 300 that were fulfilled in Christ's first coming alone. Listen to this and we're finished. In his book, Science Speaks, Peter Stoner applies the modern science of probability to just eight prophecies regarding Christ. Listen to what he says about this. This is very interesting. He says, let's just take eight prophecies about Christ. What are the probabilities of that happening? Here's what he said. The chance that any man might have fulfilled all eight prophecies is, and I'm no mathematician, so you may understand this better than I do, fulfilled all eight prophecies, the probability is 1 in 10 to the 17th. I don't really understand that a whole lot, so he gives it in a little bit simpler terms. He says that would be 1 in 100 quadrillion. So then he goes on to say, well, let me break it down a little more. He, he says, take 10 to the 17th silver dollars, lay them on the face of Texas. Those silver dollars, if you laid them on the face of Texas, would be two feet deep. He says, now say that you take a man and you blindfold him and you mark one of those silver dollars and you mix it up on the state of Texas real good. And you blindfold a man and you send him out into the state of Texas and you say, all right, you can pick one, come back to me. The probability of him coming back with that silver dollar is the probability, mathematically speaking, of Christ fulfilling eight of these prophecies and yet there are hundreds of them let me tell you something god's faithful this this isn't some kind of made up thing god is faithful god always does what he says he's going to do and so you know what i think it ought to be in our lives hey lord help me just submit to what you say i ought to be doing because you know a lot better than i do you're faithful help me to be faithful i love these signs that god gives he says this will be a sign unto you you're going to find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes. This will be a sign. And I think we see three signs here. We see the sign of God's power. Boy, power. Miraculous. Virgin birth of Christ. That's power. We see God's love. God becomes man. It's amazing. He's with us. Emmanuel, God with us. And you see God's faithfulness. What God says he's going to do, he always, always, always does. In the time this Christmas, if we haven't done it already, just to simply say, you know what, Lord? You've given me a lot of light. You give me a lot of signs of your goodness. I'm going to give you my heart. I'm going to submit my will to you. I want to live for you.